0: Thank you once again for your hugely warm welcome to us um, and all the kindnesses you've shown to us over the last few weeks. It's been hugely appreciated. Um, we've had a, a good first kind of normal week, week of work. It's been a, a bit of a whirlwind, but a really good first week. So um, thank you to, to you for, uh, for all you've done to make it a good first few weeks for us. I'm going to pray and um, we'll then look, uh, look further at uh, Acts 10 together. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that uh, you speak to us through your words. We pray, please, as we look at these verses in Acts 10, you would show us where it is we can have confidence to be sure and certain of the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I wish you were here. We're having a wonderful time here in Normandy, that the sea's delightfully warm. As I write this, I'm, I'm sipping on a lovely glass of, of French white. I've just seen the fish caught that I'll be eating for, for tea tonight. Yet to see a cloud in the sky. Wish you were here. You ever, you ever had a, a postcard come through the door like that? They tend to land on your doormat on a day like yesterday, an English summer's day where it's raining all day and the, the pile of washing is, is building and the milk's gone off, and your dinner prospects are anything but fresh fish. It's, it's beans and toast. I wonder if you've, if you've ever had a, a wish-you-were-there moment in your Christian life. You open up the Bible, and, and you read of Jesus as he, as he makes those that are deaf hear, as he brings sight to the blind and drives out demons and, and, and dies and, and rises again. And it can all just feel a very long way off wish I was there can I really base my life on this Jesus that lived and died and rose again 2000 years ago if only I could see with my own eyes, touch with my my own hands then, then I'd be certain about Jesus, then those niggling doubts would, would seep away perhaps you're here this morning and the jury's still out for you about the Lord Jesus it's reasonable to ask, where can I go to, to hear the truth about Jesus? Robert Louis Wilkin has done some research into the growth of the early church. He's written a book called The First 1,000 Years, A Global History of Christianity. His numbers are based on estimates, but he's done a lot of work on it. He, he estimates that at the end of the first century, by 100 AD, there were fewer than 10,000 Christians in the Roman Empire. An empire made up of some 60 million as a percentage, that is 0.0017% of the population. That's 100 AD. Come on, 100 years, 200 AD, huge growth, 200,000 Christians. But as a percentage, still tiny, 0.36%. Come on, another 100 years, 300 AD, Christians made up 10% of the Roman Empire. Staggering growth in the space of 300 years. So how was it then that that Christianity moved from a a tiny fledgling movement to one that dominated the Roman Empire and spreads the entire globe today? Well, the second half of of Acts 10 shows us the answer. We're halfway through the story. Uh, Just to to remind you, if you you weren't here last week or if your memory is like mine and you need a, a recap, Cornelius and Peter have this, this interaction with each other. Cornelius, remember, is a, he's a hardened Roman soldier, but a God-fearing man living in Caesarea. And he has a, he has a vision in which an angel tells him to, to call for Peter, who's, who's down the road at the, in Joppa. So Cornelius sends a party uh, to go and get Peter. And meanwhile, down in, in Joppa, where Peter is, he's on the rooftop waiting for his lunch, and, and he falls into a trance, And he sees heaven open up before him. And a sheet comes down with all sorts of animals on it that would have been unclean for Jews to eat. And a voice tells him to kill and eat. Peter is outraged. But he's told by this voice to not call anything unclean that God has called clean. And Peter's mulling over whatever this could be all about when, when three messengers arrive from Caesarea, sent by Cornelius. That's, that's where we're up to, and Peter invites them in. Well, that brings us up to date with where we are in verse 23. And the action moves from Joppa up, up the, the coast to, to Caesarea. Peter travels there with the three men sent, and another six that were there with him in, in uh, Joppa, and he, he travels up to Caesarea. And he enters into Cornelius' house. Now he, is, he is hugely out of his comfort zone at this point. As he, as he walks into the house of a Gentile, everything naturally inside him would have been shouting, Unclean! Unclean! A few months ago, I, I went and, and knocked at the door of a bishop, the previous Bishop Graham's house. I had no idea what to expect as, as he opened the door and, and, and allowed me in. What I certainly wasn't expecting was as I walked in to see that the bishop has his own private chapel on one side of, of his house. Well, Peter has no idea what he's going to find as he goes in. But he certainly wouldn't have expected a hardened Roman soldier to, to drop to his knees in worship of him. But, but Peter's quick to get him up from his, from his feet uh, and in deeper they go into the house and as he goes in deeper, he, he finds that the whole house is, is packed to the rafters with people. There's not an empty seat in the room. Cornelius has invited as many people as he can squeeze into his pad. But do you notice how, how Peter and Cornelius in this early interaction sh- show two extremes to avoid? Cornelius needs to hear that Peter is no god but Peter, uh, Peter needs to hear that Cornelius is no dog. See, either worshipping others and, and feeling insignificant and worthless is, is one wrong extreme some of us might be prone to go to. Uh, or the other extreme is we trash others and we put ourselves on a pedestal. Now watch for either extreme of treating others either as gods or Dogs. And Peter, then in a wonderfully British, understated manner... Can you see it in verse 29? I wonder if I might ask you why you sent for me. It's wonderfully understated, isn't it? He's, he's travelled overnight to another city. He's come to a crowded house with a bunch of people he would never normally associate with. And in a very British way, he says, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. If you, if you don't mind, would you, would you mind just telling me why I'm here? So Cornelius explains the backstory. And then look, look down at verse 33. Here's the key thing for us to see about Cornelius. Cornelius says, verse 33, So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Here's, here's the key thing about Cornelius. He is an eager listener. Can you, can you see that in verse 33? Here we all are. We're in the presence of God. We're ready to listen to your words. Words that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius grasps that listening to Peter was as much an experience of divine presence as being addressed by an angel. Not because Peter's divine. No, Peter's quick to squash any notion of that. But because of what Peter's God-given job is. So the room falls silent. Every eye in the room is is on Peter and he begins to speak. The crowd crowd already knows some of the story of Jesus. Do you see in verse 36, you know, verse 37, you know, that they know something of the Lord Jesus already. They've heard of his life and and death and resurrection and Peter speaks of that. And in many ways, what what Peter says here is very similar to the sermon in, in Acts 2, very similar in all but one respect. Just flip back with me, need really, to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 22 to 24. And as I'm reading it, I want you to play a little game and spot the difference. Can you spot one key difference from Acts 10 verse 39? So Acts 2 verse 22, men of Israel. You see here he's, he's speaking to Jews. That's not the difference you're looking for. Men of Israel, Acts 2:22. Listen to this. Just flip back to Acts 10, verse 39. There is one word that is that is a key difference. In Acts 2, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and knowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. Acts 10, 39. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. Not, not you. They did it. They killed him. Not you. They did it, because you weren't there. You weren't implicit in the tragic events of Good Friday. So here's the question. It's, it's where we started. How, then, can Cornelius and a group of Gentiles, and men and women and boys and girls in Norwich, have any certainty about the Lord Jesus? Just just like the Gentiles. We, we weren't there, were we? Cornelius didn't didn't get to experience it all firsthand well in Peter's words we see God's answer here it is we see how the message of Jesus goes global here is God's global growth strategy look again at Acts ten thirty nine. just flip back there if you've still in Acts T. verse 39 of Acts 10 we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem they killed him by hanging him on a tree but God raised him from the dead, and on the third day, so raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He's, he has not seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You see what Peter doesn't want us to miss? He doesn't want us to miss that he was a witness of everything about Jesus. He and the rest of the apostles were there with Jesus. They they witnessed his life. They were there when it it looked like it had all come to a tragic end as Jesus hung on a cross as a common criminal. They were there three days later as Jesus smashed death. And and you see, they they ate and drank, verse 41. They ate and drank with the risen Jesus. They were witnesses of it all. But, But more than that... Peter and the apostles were not just witnesses. Verse 41, do you see? They were witnesses whom God had already chosen. They are God's chosen witnesses. God chose this unlikely bunch to witness to the known world about him. People's last words tend to tell you something important about them, don't they? Let me tell you a few people's last words. The composer Gustav Mahler, he died in bed conducting apparently an imaginary orchestra. His last word? Mozart. Joseph Wright was a linguist who who wrote part of the English dialect uh, dictionary. His last word? Dictionary. How about this one? Composer Jean-Philippe Rameau, he had a priest by his bedside as he died. He was reported to have said these as his last words. What the devil do you mean to sing to me, priest? You're out of tune. Last words tell us something important about... What people see is important. and Of course, as we look at Acts 1, they're they're not Jesus' last words on his deathbed, are they? But they are his last words before he he goes to heaven. Uh, And they show us something important about what he sees as his priority. Acts 1.8, he says to his apostles, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. These men, these apostles, they walked and, and talked and, and ate and drank and, and saw with their eyes and, and touched with their hands everything about Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. So what's, what's the question in, in your mind when, when the Bible's opened up? Maybe, maybe it's, I wish I was there. Then I could be sure. You see that God handpicked Peter and a motley crew of unseemingly, of unschooled blokes to be his witnesses. And as we we read their accounts of Jesus, it's like their I wish you were were here postcards. They were there. They saw the lot. His life, death and resurrection. And they were handpicked by God to act as his reliable witnesses. So will you be a Cornelius? Will you listen eagerly to the words of the apostles, knowing that these words are are solid ground to stand on to be sure about Jesus? Here's where to come to, to hear the truth about Jesus. Will you, like Cornelius, recognise that hearing from the apostles is just as much listening to the Lord as if an angel was to pop into your room the moment you're reading the Bible on a Monday morning? It's not unusual, is it, for for Jesus' words and the apostles to be divided from each other. Maybe you've heard someone say, well, I like what Jesus says. But the rest of the New Testament, I'm just not so sure. See, God won't allow us to divide off Jesus' words and the apostles' words. God handpicked these witnesses to talk about Jesus so that we could listen to them and be sure about him. They write as witnesses, showing us Jesus. I just have this niggling concern about red-letter Bibles. I'll, I'll tell you why I've got a concern about them. You know those Bibles that put Jesus' words in red? Here's my concern. I, I think they can leave you thinking there's sort of a two-tier system in the Bible. There's, there's the red letters. They're, they're Jesus' words. They're, they're the top tier. Focus on those. And then there's... The black words, well, they're, they're tier, tier two. They're okay, but they're not quite the, the, the top-tier words. Now, there's no two tiers in the Bible. The whole Bible points to Jesus, and, and the apostles, as they write their letters, they show us who Jesus is so we can be sure about him. But Cornelius isn't just an eager listener. He's an eager bringer. We see that in the story, don't we? He He packs his house out. And as he sent those three men down to Joppa, no doubt he was a man on a mission as he went around his city, saying, look, you've got to come to my house tomorrow. Come and hear this man, Peter. Drop your plans. Be here tomorrow. This really matters. He grasped the message Peter had to tell him about Jesus mattered. It wasn't just a, a message just for him. A message for every person, every nation, Every boy and girl. Peter tells the packed out room about the Jesus of history. But it's not just the Jesus of history, it's the Jesus that rose from the dead. And look at at verse 42. Verse 42. Peter says he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. This Jesus is not just the Jesus of history. This is the the judge of the living and the dead of everybody. God has set a time, a date in the diary, when this Jesus will come back. And we are one day closer to it today than we were yesterday. And on that day, everyone, living and dead, will stand before him as judge. And on that day, there is only one thing that will matter, and that is how we've responded to Jesus. Verse 43, at the end there, we see it is only in Jesus that there is forgiveness of sins. Only in Jesus. On that day, what will our hope be? As we stand before the judge, our only hope will be to look at him, not just as the judge, but as our saviour, the one who forgives sins. Only he can do that. Bishop Frank Retief was was once the bishop of South Africa. He he tended to not mince his words, and he once wrote, somewhat pointedly, these words. Organise your diary around the fact that without Christ, people are going to hell. Organise your diary around the fact that without Christ, people are going to hell. I wonder how our our priorities might look different this week. As we remember that the Lord Jesus one day is coming back as as judge of of the living and the dead. One of the the lecturers at Oak Hill College said the first thing he'd do is he'd get get a new diary for the year. He'd write on January the 1st, Jesus could come back this year. First thing he'd write in his diary... And he said that he, he found it strangely shaped the way he thought about what his priorities were for that coming year. Jesus could come back this year. Well, staggering growth from 0.36% of the Roman Empire in the year 200 to 10% by 300 AD to, according to Pew Research Center, 31% of today's 7.3 billion people. Well, we can argue with those figures, but but whatever. It's staggering growth, isn't it? How is it God grows his church? It's as people come to the words of the apostles, as they listen to God's chosen witnesses to the Lord Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As we listen to the apostles as they offer free forgiveness and trust in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you that you chose the apostles as your witnesses to show us the truth of the Lord Jesus, that we might be sure and certain of his life, death, and resurrection. Thank you that it's, it's these words that we can come to to be certain about the Lord Jesus. And we pray as we remember that he will one day come back as judge of the living and the dead, that we would continue to focus our lives around that truth, that we would continue to root ourselves in the words of the Lord Jesus through the apostles, that we be those who are quick to point others to these words, that we might consider who it is that we might open up and read these great words with, that you would be drawing boys and girls and whole families to be here in August, to hear of the Lord Jesus at Holiday Club. We pray, please, you'd strengthen us in all this. In Jesus' name, amen.